The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. On this episode of Jaws of Justice, host Macy Jones speaks with Holsey Ellingberg. Holsey is a former title belt holder who had a career as a cruiserweight boxer beginning in the 1980s. He fought some of the greats, and he won more fights than he lost. Sadly, Holsey found himself working two careers, the legal boxing career, which could have brought him greatness, and a career in the drug trade, which cost him 26 years in prison. Now outside of prison, Holsey is glad to share with listeners the lessons he learned, and Jaws of Justice is glad to share his testimony with you. We'll play our calendar at the midpoint of the hour. Items in the calendar can also be found on this episode's page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, and also on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Please listen as Craig Lubo introduces Macy Jones. Okay, thank you for joining us here on Jaws of Justice Radio. Today, host uh, Macy Jones is going to talk to Hosey Ellenberg. Hosey is a native of Kansas City. He won the Cruiser Weight World Championship title. However, he has lost 26 years of his life because of his chosen lifestyle of living a double life. This is a story of pitfalls to living that way. Macy? Thank you, Craig. Good morning. My name is Macy Jones, and this is the Jaws of Justice radio show on KKFI 90.1 FM. Today, I have with me Mr. Hosey Ellingberg. From Justice to Success, a professional boxer who lived a double life and in so doing so, ended up suffering the consequences of his own actions. Mr. Ellingberg, thanks for being on the show. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum, brother. Salam. There's something I know that you'd like to say before we start this interview. Yes, I'd like to first thank you and the radio station for having me on. It's a privilege to have the opportunity to offer my opinion. I assure you that I will answer your questions with complete honesty. But before I speak about myself, I have to free my mother, Mrs. Betty Lamar Ellingberg, and my father, Mr. Hosey Ellingberg Sr., from the way I chose to live this life. I always felt their love surrounding me. So many tears fell from their eyes, yet they were always there for me. It was overwhelming how one day I woke up and everything 
they ever told me became crystal clear. All I ever had to do was to be obedient. And our Mustaqim, the straight path, would lay at my feet. May Allah forgive me for being such a disappointment. I only ask that they rest in peace and that in the hereafter they linger in the gardens of paradise. Mr. Ellingberg, that's a beautiful thing that you did just then by absolving your parents. We know a lot of people try to blame their parents, didn't, wasn't able to do this, that, and that for the others, or clothe them, feed them, and, you know, had struggles and trials, but you had a beautiful home life. So who is Hosey Ellingberg? Well, I'm a former WBF Cruiserweight champion known in some places as the Midwestern Matador, and in others I've been called the War Horse. I'm a native of Kansas City, Missouri, and I was recently released from federal imprisonment after serving 26 consecutive years of incarceration. So now I'm back from hell. So so now you back, but that the hell you back from is the one that you placed yourself in, is that correct? That's true. Okay. My plight in this life was to try to serve two masters. And what I mean by that is that on one hand, I wanted to be a professional fighter and I wanted to do right. Uh, I wanted to climb the ranks. I wanted to be a world champion. I wanted to do boxing was my first love. But on the other hand, I wanted to be street. And what do you and, mean by street? Uh, I wanted to live a criminal life. I wanted to make fast money. And in time that became addictive. I became addictive. I you know, I mean, it was easy for me to make uh and obtain the things that I wanted out of life, you know, doing these things. Uh, and eventually, you know, I paid the price. So that was the existence of the double lifestyle you're talking about, by being a professional boxer and a criminal at the same time. Yes, of course. So when you was in the ring, you boxed. Then when you got out the ring, you went into your criminal lifestyle of what? What? Selling drugs. Selling drugs. Drugs was yeah. it? Drugs was, selling drugs was my main activity, uh, uh, main source of accumulating piles of money at a time. And like I say, I became addicted to that lifestyle, you know, wearing uh, expensive clothing, uh, jewelry, uh driving big pretty cars and pretty much having any woman I want pretty much you know uh, those things uh, become addictive so this is what brought about the double lifestyle for you and with that being said what brought about the change in your life from 
coming forth from that lifestyle. I know there was positive role models in your life, people that were of a influential nature to you. Well, I had influential people in my life from my childhood. People like uh, Mr. Joe Rima. Uh, he was a wonderful coach of mine uh, from the Don Bosco Center. Uh, Mr. Robert Nix. He was a a great teacher, a great mentor in my life. Uh, I can't leave out uh, Brother Suleiman, Eddie Bronson. I learned a lot from that guy. Uh, Jerome, uh, he was he was part of my life, and then just other guys uh, played a part in me uh, climbing the ranks, such as Don King, Peyton Shears, Mister Peyton Shears. He steered my uh, boxing career in the right direction, and I let a lot of them down because of my decision-making, the choices that I made. So at the time that you had these positive influences in your life, you were still active in your criminality. Well, I think that uh, when drugs hit kind of hard back in the 80s that I found found myself... uh, believing that it was a more lucrative pursuit and it was easier it was just easier for me to make a living uh, selling drugs regardless to the wrong and bear in mind that I understand completely now that what I was doing was wrong because I was selling poison to people you know and Throughout my years of imprisonment, I went through many trials and tribulations that bring me to the point to where I am now with regards to my insights about life and about trying to serve two masters, trying to live uh, what we call straddling the fence. You know, you want to be good on this side of the fence, but you're doing evil on the other side of the fence, you know. So what I did learn is that it's never going to come out, well, at least for me, it didn't work. Well, Mr. Ellingberg, I don't think it's going to work for anybody. Yeah. Eventually, justice has to be a part in the in the equation. You know, like you was talking about uh, serving two masters. An individual can't be a doctor, you know, from nine to five. And then when the five o'clock hour will hit, then they out there, you know, selling the prescription drugs. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Sooner or later, it's going to, I say that as an example to show that sooner or later, it will catch up with you. Okay. Yes. So, Mr. Ellenberg. With that being said, how do you see yourself today? Because a lot of because a lot of people today are out there living that living that criminality life. 
Well, I see myself causing havoc in the city that you are native of. Right. So well, how I do you see? I see myself as an example for young men, if they young men and women, because this this is for all young people I'm speaking to. And I see myself as an example that you should not follow. And I feel that I myself would be uh, great in delivering that message to young people because of the years that I lost out my life, of the things that I have to endure. You know, I had to endure a lot to survive 26 years of incarceration. You don't just wake up one day and you've done 26 years. You know, it's trials and tribulations all the way. And young folks need to know that that's not a place that they want to end up in. You know, I say that it's a living hell. And it's nothing to take for granted. Well, I know that there are some that may listen to this program that say right now I'm in living hell. Right now because of their situation in society at this moment is a living hell to them. They don't have to go to prison to experience what you experienced to say that. What can you say to a, an individual, a young, a young child that is going through this situation right now? without having to experience that. Okay. My perspective with regards to some of the things that young people are faced with, dealing with in their life at this time, uh, I make a comparison and I know it's totally different from when I was coming up. You know, like when I was coming up, when I make that comparison, it's like I was living in an oasis when I look at how things are in this day and time. And, but I always look at how we were in that day and time. And I compare it to how things are now. And I say this, that we have to make more or place more emphasis on integrity. I think that young people in this day and time, they need to be uh, taught, you know, uh, things that evolve around humility. Because me, as a youth, I was very arrogant. And it's my arrogance that caused me to be obedient. It's my arrogance that caused me to roam the streets and do wrong. It's my arrogance that caused me to, how you put it, uh, slip away from being just a pure fighter 
just being a pure individual. And because of that, I suffer the consequences. And I tell young people all the time that you have to humble yourself. But in that, a lot of young people have to be told and they have to be shown that they have nothing to prove to anybody. Because when you're dealing with conflict and you're dealing with resolution, a lot of people, they have to understand that you have nothing to prove. And they have to also understand that it's important that you ask yourself, what are you trying to prove when you're in a certain type of situation? Because when you're in those type of situations, if you're trying to prove something to somebody, then that's going to turn out all bad. Was there a peer pressure? Did peer pressure play a part in you living a double lifestyle? I would say, I would say that I had good examples in my life, and that we had like street codes, or what we call the codes of the game. And we had people out in the streets that was recognized for this, that, and the other and were looked upon uh, in a certain way, you know. And when you when you are in their presence and when you're around that type of culture, yes, you, you it's, it's, it's a, a certain amount of peer pressure on you, but Nine times out of ten, if you out there, then you just being you anyway. You just being you anyway. So it's not really a matter of peer pressure. Peer pressure can be on, can have an effect on the innocent, you know, but on guys that's actually out there and living this type of life. They don't have room to blame their peers because they out there just for what they out what they doing. They out there to benefit to reap benefits from their actions. So you're saying that it's a choice. An it's individual, choice. you made the choice to go in that direction as opposed to stay in the in the professional field that you was a part of. I, I played both parts. I love being a fighter. I love being, that was my first love in life, being a fighter. And I was a great fighter. And I climbed the ranks. Uh, I've traveled all over the country. I've been uh, invited to Don King's training camp. I've been invited to Roy Jones Sr.'s training camp. I've been invited to uh, Floyd Mayweather Sr.'s training camp. Way back in the day when it was Golden Glove, I've been invited to Johnny Tacos right down the street in Vegas. I've, I've been invited to Kutcher's Resort in New York. You know, up in the Catskill Mountains, 
been in the mountains in Vegas. I've been training and fighting all over this country. All, all that time, I was climbing the ranks as a professional fighter, and I was fighting nothing but world-class fighters. However, even with that being said, you still chose a lifestyle contrary to all the beauty that you had in your life that you called an oasis. And I was meaning to ask you, what did you mean by that word, oasis? I mean by oasis that I compare it to the way youngsters are have to be sheltered in this day and time. When I was a kid, my mother could let me out the door and she wouldn't fret on whether or not I was going to make it home that night. Now, the fact is, old Shan don't let the street lights beat you through the door. You know, and my mother uh, would send me to the store, grocery store, to pick up, you know, different articles and whatnot. And she wouldn't have to worry about me being harmed. You looked all over the city. You seen, you could step out your door and you would see merry-go-rounds, kids playing on merry-go-rounds. You could see kids uh, on teeter-totters, uh, swing sets and whatnot. And it was just a different lifestyle. We had great icons. Uh, we had people that we looked up to. I mean, we had people larger than life. I can honestly say I walk, walk, watched giants walk the earth. You know, people like Muhammad Ali, you had them. People like uh, Joe Frazier. Uh, you had people like uh, James Brown. You know, you had people like uh, Rocky Marciano. Uh, you just You just go on down just go through history. Look back. You don't have to go far. You look back and you can see the difference, a great difference. And then you ask yourself, where are all those people at? You don't see those souls no more. You don't see those characters in this in in this day and time anymore. You don't see those people. So you're saying that the youth of today need someone to truly believe in them as okay. opposed as opposed to uh, always being on the put down. You've been listening to host Macy Jones interview with Holsey Ellingberg. Now we'll break for public service announcements in our calendar. We will return to Holsey's compelling story in a few minutes. Hi, I'm Janine Jackson, host of Counterspin, your weekly look behind the headlines. Counterspin couldn't exist without stations like KKFI that put community first. We're proud to air every Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m. And if you miss it, you can find it at kkfi.org. That's Counterspin every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. right here on KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Hi, I'm Janine Jackson, host of Counterspin, your weekly look behind the headlines. 
Counterspin couldn't exist without stations like KKFI that put community first. We're proud to air every Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m. And if you miss it, you can find it at kkfi.org. That's Counterspin every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. right here on KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. KKFI is listening, and your feedback helps to inform our decisions on current and future programming. It's important for your voice to be heard, so let us know what you think about our programming by going online and filling out the KKFI listener survey at kkfi.org survey. Now the calendar for the week of July 3rd. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Monday, July 3rd, 6.45 p.m., there should be a Kansas City Criminal Justice Task Force phone meeting. If you'd like to join, you can dial 605-313-5573. And when asked for the code, enter 454777. Wednesday, July 5th, 7 p.m., you're invited to join Missourians for Alternatives to the Death Penalty and filmmaker Ben Scholey for a screening of the documentary, The Worst Crime, in Kansas City at the Stray Cat Film Center, 1662 Broadway Boulevard, Kansas City, Missouri. Saturday, July 8th at noon, the Mothers of Incarcerated Sons and Daughters is having a monthly session to offer information about state and federal criminal justice systems. They offer support and advocacy for the person and the incarcerated, information about legislative bills, how to lobby for laws and reforms, community news and actions are shared, and much more. Many leave feeling empowered, not alone and overwhelmed. You can join them at PlexPod Westport Commons, centrally located on the bus line, easy to find at 300 East 39th Street, Kansas City, Missouri, Annex A, a meeting room with convenient parking. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. Please stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. A crisis on the scale of the pandemic can reorder society in dramatic ways, for better or worse. All of society plays a heavy price for decades of failing to create a rational system of health care that works for all of us. We now return to host Macy Jones' interview with Holsey Ellingberg, a champion cruiserweight boxer who tried to serve two masters, one in the ring and the other, not a true master, but a vice for which Holsey spent 26 years in prison. 
So you're saying that the youth of today need someone to truly believe in them as oh. opposed as opposed to uh, always being on the put down. Who was it that believed in you when you went forward to win the World Cruiserweight Championship title? My mama. <laughs> My mama. That's who believed in me. Didn't nobody believe in me. My mom and I believed in myself. Didn't nobody else believe in me. Everybody went against me. Everybody thought I was picked to lose. I was picked to lose. I was I was a I believe a fifteen to one underdog out in Vegas when I fought for the world championship. I wasn't I wasn't supposed to win that fight. But I had confidence because I had rhythm, you know, and that's what young people are missing. You can teach them fundamentals all you want, but if you don't teach them how to connect with their rhythm, then they will not reach their full potentials. What do you mean? Uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but what do you mean by teach them uh, rhythm? Let them help them to find their rhythm. Well, rhythm attaches to our souls. And I had a rhythm that I always would go back to. When I climb in the ring to fight and you see me bouncing around, moving, you look at my fights, you will see me bouncing around and I'm moving, I'm getting ready. And when I find that rhythm, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. If I find my rhythm, it's going to be a problem. And this rhythm is, is electrifying. When you find your rhythm, when you teach young men to connect with their rhythm, with their soul, what's within them, when you, when you teach them to tap into that, you know, they're going to be something else. You know, with that, with rhythm, there's two sides to rhythm. Yeah. You know, you got some rhythm that's, that 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 comes from a negative perspective, and then you got some rhythm that 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 beats up on a positive level. So how how do you get them to distinguish between that rhythm that you're speaking of that's on from a positive perspective away from that negative? Because it's, it's, there's two sides to everything. Well, you have to teach them that they're different and that they have that they have a responsibility to be humble. You have to teach them humility. You have to teach them not to be uh, or to use the things that they are learning. You know, the things that you're teaching them, when you got your hands on young people, you have to teach them that, okay, you're different from the common, you know, and you are expected to carry yourself in a certain type of way. You don't have to prove to anybody that you can do this, you can do that, that you're capable of knocking them out and this, that, and other, and so on and forth. You 
are expected to show humility as a fighter, you know, uh, if that be the case, this goes for whatever type of uh, pursuit a child is after, you know, you have to teach them to humble themselves. But even with that being true, you have to teach them humility. You have to teach them a lot of things as a child growing up. You have to learn like your, your parents taught you. Mm-hmm. However, my question is, when society, when you look and step out your front door and you see where a guy that's draped in jewelry, yeah. you know, a guy that's, you know, he's wearing the best of everything. And here it is that, that you don't have any of these things to make it possible. How do you get them to comprehend and understand, okay, even though that's his reality, mm-hmm. don't make it your reality because of the consequences that can come with that. Yeah. Uh, one of the main things that you have to understand about life is you have to make your way and you have to teach young people that they making a big mistake when they're concerning themselves with what other people have and how other people choose to live their life. When you look at what another individual have, you know, it is upon you to choose and decide which way you want to leave your live your life. But it's also upon you to know that you have to find your own way to gain those things if, if, if that's what you want. If you want a big pretty car, if you want to wear diamond chains and gold rings and whatnot, uh, you have to find your own way to doing those things for yourself. Now, what if what if me, the young man, turned around and said, okay, what you saying, I, I hear all that. I hear all that, but you, you was a professional fighter who won a world championship title. Mm-hmm. And yet, and still, the same things that you're trying to convince me to not go after the way that I might want to go after them, which is wrong, you did. So how how can you begin to relate to me that which you're saying I should do if if what your profession wasn't enough for you? The point that they would be missing and it's really crystal clear is that what I did was wrong. And being wrong is being wrong. And so if I'm an example and I'm sitting here and I'm telling you that I'm an example of being and doing wrong when I could have chose to do completely what was right, you know, then 
you're not getting or they're not getting or understanding, they're not getting the story. They're not learning the lesson. You have to learn my lesson. You have to learn from my mistake because that was a mistake. It was wrong. And it was foolish of me to give and dab in that direction, you know. And so my thing to young people is that you have to dedicate yourself to what you want in life. And once you have something that's, I say, pure in nature, stick with it, fight for it, dedicate yourself to it completely. I dedicated myself to it, but not completely. I tried to serve two masters. I walked on two sides of the street. I tried I tried to have one foot over here and one foot over here, and I got caught straddling the fence. And so you don't want to get caught like that. That's my point to young people. It's either yay or nay. Live your life in the proper fashion. Live your life accordingly because if you are trying to serve two masters, you will get caught straddling that fence. You will get caught straddling that fence. And that's not a good thing. And there's consequences to everything. I think I understand what you're saying. Uh, along with that, choose. So you're saying choose a professional profession that you that you enjoy that doesn't have uh, negative consequences, but is a struggle to get to. I mean, individuals go to college to turn around and uh, become doctors, lawyers, and any other professions that's out there, business majors, things, psychologists, all of these fields. But even with that, there was a struggle to get to the top of that graduation class. Mm -hmm. So when you went through your training, discipline was a part of all of that. Yeah. You had to you had to be disciplined. Oh, of course. You had to be disciplined. Oh, yeah. You had to be regimented. You had to do all of those things necessary. But at the end of the day, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow wasn't enough. No. And I, this is the reason why people make the choices that they make. How do we get people to understand that you don't the pot making it to the pot of the making it to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is not going to be an easy road. Yeah. The how do we, yeah, how do we get them to understand that and know that you're going to have to struggle? Yes. Like a baby coming in yeah. the world. A baby crawls, yeah. crawls before yeah. it walks. So, you know, I mean, yeah. life goes on this way. Well, they have to have the concept and they have to understand that nothing worth having is easy comes easy you know if it means something to you then you have to fight for it you know if 
you know, at one point in my career, uh, I was in, I was so indulged with drinking alcohol, using drugs, and having affairs with women and so on and so forth that I couldn't properly, properly pursue my fighting career. And my father made me stop fighting because I lost two consecutive fights. And he told me, that's not you. So he set me down and made me quit fighting, you know, until I could dedicate myself to what I was doing. My father would not let me fight, you know. So the point I'm trying to make is that you have to insert yourself in their lives, you know, when you see them slipping, you know, going in the wrong direction or doing the wrong things, you know, because if you're going to be a professional fighter, you have to be pure. You have to be pure, man, because when you go out there, in my time anyway, when I went out there, I went up against some bad men. I mean, I went up, I had steep competition in my time, and people that know me and been around me know that I fought some of the best. I come up around some of the best. Mousy Martin, Harold Bill, people like that, you know, I had to, I had to fight, you know. I had to, I had, I had to train around. I had to get in the ring with them. I had to face these guys. These guys was giants, you know. Uh, I can go on. The list goes on, and I hope I'm. Uh, and I had people like Sonny Man, you know, uh, to pat in myself behind, or just all kind of uh, individuals in Kansas City that were like. Icons, they legends. What made that not enough, though? See, I, I guess what I'm trying to trying to get to is what made that not enough for you. What? See, and the reason why, excuse me, I don't mean to cut you off. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't want anyone to think that you know that is living a double life. I was living two styles of life. Right. And I was subject. I was I was subject to the street life and just my love was boxing. But I was subject to the street life and boxing every day of my life coming up. I was struck I was subject to both of them because no matter what my mother and my father installed in me, when I went outside that door, my partners, they was out there waiting for me. The peers. Yeah, my partners, they was outside there mm-hmm. waiting on me. And I'm not blaming them and I'm not uh, pointing a finger at them and I'm not saying they the reason why I chose to do anything because I chose... Then, you know, to be that way, you know, so what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is, is that when you're living 
two separate uh, in two separate ways. You know, you have to understand that it's two influences. It's two different influences on your life, and which one are you gonna listen to? And it's the same way with these youngsters in this day and time. Which way are they going? You know, some of them, you know, are blessed, you know, to go down our Musta King. Some of them are blessed to choose a straight way. Some of them are blessed, you know, uh, to resist the foolishness that's out there waiting on. Some of them are blessed to get around those things. But many are not. You know, many are not. And I was one of those that fell through the cracks. You know, I was one of those that really actually should have went wholeheartedly in another direction. I'm sitting at home. I don't want a world championship. I'm waiting on my next fight. My next fight was Thomas Hitman Hearns. But I'm still dibbing and dabbing in drugs. And I got caught straddling the fence at that time. I hadn't put away my second life, my other lifestyle. I hadn't put it away. I hadn't smutted, smutted it out. And so I got caught. How do you see that you could have cut that other lifestyle, that addictive lifestyle out of your life? How could you have done that? The only way you do that is just quit. You have to stop doing what's wrong. You know, uh, I like to think that uh, there's a higher power in the world or in the universe, a higher being, you know. He comes by many names, and I call him a lot. But I like to think that when I prayed, and I had to pray many a times to get where I got in life, I had to pray a many a times to be sitting here today before you but what I want to say is is that I think that through those prayers that you have to understand that you have to remember that higher being you have to remember that you prayed and that your prayers was answered and then you have to show that you understand that those prayers was answered. Because when you forget that those prayers was answered, I believe there is and will be repercussions. You know, and I believe that <clears throat> I forgot I didn't remember a lot 
And I'm not blaming nothing on the law. I don't want that on my slate. But I don't believe that I remembered a lie through my heart hardships when I had to pray and ask for strength to get through different things because I've been in I've been in some real low situations to where I had to call on a lot or supreme being whatever people choose to uh, how they choose the name their supreme and I had to call on him in a minute situations. And all the time, I mean, I would forget. You know, I would forget. And that's where that's why I asked the question because um, individuals that have the opportunity and then live a double life, and now you're speaking with a child who's trying to figure figure life out, who's trying to just get through it, you know. You know, we, there has to be some solution or something said that can give him how. do I? How do I get away from what I'm doing? You know, I mean, back in the time, back in your days, they had, they had, they had gangs, which they probably still had today. I don't know. <laughs> no, back in my days, they didn't have gangs in they, Kansas City. Well, they, you know, they had, they had, okay, they had uh, teams then, let's they say had, like they that. Had, they had different, you know, we had, we had, we had different, we had different sets. You, That's what we would call it. Okay. Different sets. You okay. Know. okay. But we didn't, we didn't, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't have gangs. There, there wasn't no Crips and Bloods in Kansas City. When I was coming up, there was no GD. There was no, there was no type of gang activity when I was coming up in the streets of Kansas City, Missouri. You know, I, me per se, I'm off 12th Street. Okay. You know, and so that that would be my set, my okay. neighborhood. You know, and and you know, well, to make but we didn't, but we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, we we didn't have no obligation to one another with regards to, you know, uh, oh, he's chief over us, or oh, he, we didn't have nothing like that going on. We would just, we just come off Twelfth Street. We came, we we come off that, out that neighborhood. How do you know? Well, I'll be 63 August the 14th. But what I want to say is this is that with regards to your question about how do you reach a child, I told you. They're uh, struggling. They're struggling, with right. With the yeah. right and wrong. With the right and wrong, yeah. Life. Yeah, I told you, I really gave you that answer when I first begun because I told you that we have to learn to connect them to their rhythm. Okay. We have to learn to connect them to their rhythm and show them their what their potentials are, you know, and what they're really actually capable of doing in life. We have to take the time out to steer them in that direction in the right and the proper direction. You have to take the time out to uh, show enough concern 
for a child or a young man or a young woman. You have to take the time out to show them their capabilities. You know, they are fascinated when you teach them things about themselves. They are overwhelmed by those things and it can have the proper effect. But you have to take the time out to show them or connect them to who and what they who they really are. Hi, hey, it was a pleasure having you here with me today, Mr. Ellingberg. Hopefully some of the things that you have said, our listening audience can pick up on and draw fruit from to be proactive in their lives and their community. Thank you for being here this evening. I I appreciate you having me. Uh, I would like to say one thing before y'all in this. uh, I want to say this, that to all young men and young women out there, do what's right. Thank you again, Mr. Ellingberg. Mm -hmm. It's the 420 Drug War News. Today we close out our discussion with Dr. Khalid Tenasti, the Executive Secretary of the Global Commission on Drugs. Right. And even here in Switzerland, for example, in Geneva, the communities, because they see what is going on in the safe injection room when they see people arriving, because, but this is because people are not afraid to come forward because the cops are not going to be called because they're considered patients, because they're given the services of harm reduction services, which allow people then to be sent to the doctors if they have problems, to see also the fact or to go into treatment. You know, people send them, so they do testing also for infectious diseases, etc., to send them afterwards to the hospital to have a regular treatment regimen. Uh, I mean, not for drugs, but if there's any other issue or if they want to enter into a cycle of treatment, because here we also have the fact that everything is offered. People have to, they could choose a substitution treatment as maintenance for forever. If they cannot get out of it, they could use it for a certain period. They can go to rehabilitation and abstinence. I mean, it really is about a therapeutic contract between the doctor and the patient. It is not about imposing to people what they have to do. It's to help them choose how they get out of their difficult situation. And here, again, we're talking only about people with heavy dependence that go to the services, et cetera. We're not talking about the vast majority, which is recreational, which has no issues and we don't see. So, yeah, I mean, this is the fact of that's why decriminalization is very interesting so that people can come forward so that the authorities have the information of what is going on in the market. And, for example, some cities can just be in the United States saying, like, we have we have so many fentanyl on the streets. Be careful of not buying this, et cetera, et cetera. And those are messages of prevention, of course, and of, of keeping people alive. Yeah, but that that's very hard to do in a repressive environment where people are afraid of law enforcement everywhere in the world. Yeah, and I well, I, I think it's more uh, I don't know, more powerful the 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 stigma here in the United States that uh, I mean uh, you probably heard the phrase you if you get busted for drugs uh, you can no longer get a job credit housing and education uh, there are so many roadblocks put in your way so many court fees and fines and and other obstacles to to creating a new life a new new process. And, and I guess what I'm saying here is that what you guys are doing in Europe and elsewhere, it, it shows intelligence. It shows that this is a, still a human being. It's still a life worthy of respect and second chances, third chances, more chances. And, and here in the U.S., uh, you know, once you get that stigma of a druggie, you know, uh, your life is uh, well facing a lot of obstacles. Your, your thought there, sir. Well, I guess that's also about 
I mean, that is, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And there is no way, no way, no way to minimize the impact of stigma and discrimination on people's lives and most certainly on people that are in the most difficult situation to start with. Thank you, Dr. Tenasti. And you know, it's good to know there's not a person on this planet that dares to challenge my logic of being the keeper of the moral high ground in this drug war. I'm Dean at DrugTruth.net. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. 